introduce myself. My name is O. Oh, H to the OV. I used to move snowflakes by the OZ. I guess even back then you can call me CEO on the ROC. Fresh out the frying pan into the fire. I'll be the music man's number one supplier. Flying in a piece of paper bearing my name. Got the hottest chick in the game wearing my chain. That's right, ho. What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this jam-packed Tuesday, November the 29th, year 2022. Hope you guys enjoyed your Thanksgiving weekend. I know I did. You know what time it is. It's time to recap Week 12 in the National Football League. That was, and everything else in between, three games from the 1 o'clock window I want to touch in a monologue and three uh, late games I want to touch in segment number two. I'll get into my Cincinnati Bengals uh, not going into the, going into a Nashville, Tennessee, and essentially beating the Tennessee Titans for what the third time in the Joe Burrow, uh, Zach Taylor era. I'll give you my two cents on that. I'll preview this week's Thursday night game, which is a very enticing and intriguing matchup. This is going is weird because you look at the December schedule, you actually will have better games on Thursday night, at least on paper heading in, better games on Thursday night than you do Sunday night and Monday night combined. This week's Thursday night game, this week's Thursday night game blows uh blows this week's Sunday night game Cowboys and Colts. Uh-uh. And um, Monday night's game this week, which is the uh, well next week I should say, which is the Saints and the Bucks. That it, it blows that game out of the water. And in a couple of weeks, you'll on December fifteenth, you'll have uh, you'll have Forty ers and Seahawks, which in all objectivity will decide who wins the NFC West. I mean, you got all there is the, even the Jags and the Jets game. All of a sudden, is an enticing, intriguing game. It's weird. We crap on Thursday night football with the bad games that we got in September, October, and early November. And it looks like when it comes to prime time, the last full month of the regular season in December coming up within a couple of days, that the Thursday night that Thursday night it has the best slate of games. The Sunday night games in December stink. Go look them up. And the third and the Monday night game. In December, forget New Orleans and Tampa. December fifth, the week after that, the Patriots and the Cardinals, and then and then the next and then the next week, a matchup that everybody thought, oh wow, look at this, the defending champs going up against Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay, a place the Rams never went at, and and these two teams aren't going to make the playoffs on a road to nowhere. Everybody and their mother is injured uh, on the on the in the Los Angeles Rams squad, and Aaron Rodgers has got bad ribs, and by week fifteen, you know never know he may decide to shut it down i would anticipate the green bay packers already have uh what seven losses already this season you would imagine come december 19th uh the week before christmas that they're uh that they would be mathematically eliminated from playoff contention and then the day after and then the day after uh christmas on uh, known as Boxing Day up in Canada, December 26th, you got the Chargers and the Colts. I mean, whatever enticed the National Football League to put the Indianapolis Colts 
on Monday Night Football twice in the same season. I will never, ever, ever understand. But they, but that's your that's your December schedule for for Monday night. And matter of fact, before I get to the game, since I'm on, uh, since I'm on this tangent here, let me let's look and see what the Sunday night football schedule is in the month of December because it, it is it is absolutely offensive. This Monday night football schedule. Who in the hell wants to see the Indianapolis Colts? Uh, again on prime prime time back to that week weeks go up against the Dallas Cowboys with that garbage offensive line and have the game be thirty to nothing by halftime. I mean it's just a week after that Chiefs and Broncos with that with the with the Denver Broncos offense and Russell Wilson who are offensive to the are offensive to every football fan that wastes three hours watching that team play. The week after that the Patriots and the Raiders is a horrendous game. The Raiders are atrocious, albeit their overtime win against the Seahawks, which we'll get to later. Cardinals and the Bucks. I would imagine they they could try to move, but because I think it's a holiday with it being Christmas that that game is immovable between the Cardinals and the Bucks. So that game is from hell. And then week 17, the Rams and the Chargers. If the Chargers and I and if the Chargers lose one more game, which I which is not out of the question. Now they could, you know, run the table. Nothing's impossible here. But if the Chargers are still in it, they'll steamroll the Rams who are finished for the season. Week 17, New Year's New Year's Day uh, night. New Year's night, and if the Chargers aren't in it, then that game was also dead because you have two teams that are irrelevant in the city that they play in in Los Angeles. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, it, it, in the in the sports totem pole, and then nationwide trying to get the whole trying to get America to care about Rams and Chargers, and everybody's going to be wrapped up in co- in college football, and everybody's going to be wrapped up in college football. And the and the sem in the semifinals and everything, it's just bad. And in week eighteen, they and in week eighteen they have a you know they get to pick and choose what game it is. They get two games wild card week, two games wild card weekend, and uh, and a divisional round game. NBC gets the three playoff games, but you get the idea. Meanwhile, the Thursday night schedule, and I'll get to the Ravens choking again against the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. I promise. Uh, but the, the Thursday night schedule, I mean, is is pretty damn good. I mean, you take a look at the Prime Video Thursday night. Now, again, it's Prime. You got to find the games. You can't channel surf this, that, and the other. You get Buffalo, and you get the Buffalo, and you get Buffalo and the Patriots this week. Buffalo, everybody, everybody in America's favorite, and the Patriots need that game in order for them to keep pace with the with the Jet, with the with the Jets, the Bengals, and the other teams that are in the uh, that are trying to chase for a wild card spot. And the Patriots are in a situation, with, especially with their loss on Thanksgiving night, where they really can't afford another loss the rest of the season. So the Patriots need that game in the worst way. Do or die for the Patriots. And Buffalo still is making a, trying to make an attempt to take back the division from. Uh, first place Miami and then the following week okay week 14 it's a that's a bad game Raiders and Rams is a bad game uh week 14 December 8th but then but then the three but then their last three games on Thursday night are very very good games like I said San Francisco Seattle 
that is when all, if the Seahawks get themselves back on track with their bad loss against the Raiders, be damned. That game is going to decide who's who essentially wins the NFC West. That match of week 15, 10 days out before Christmas, and then the Thursday before Christmas, Jacksonville and the Jets. Jets need that game if the division is still within reach, which it is because they've beaten the Dolphins this year, albeit no Tua, and they've beaten the uh and they've beaten the uh the Bills and the Jets Mike White comes back and all of a sudden all is right uh with the New York uh, J- with the New York Jets again so they need that game to keep pace with the division and any wild card seedings because remember it's best of the Jets for them to make the playoffs the best way and a way I'd be more confident in it as a Jets fan is winning the division because you've beaten the Dolphins You've swept the you've swept and you you've gotten swept by the Patriots, but hopefully, if you're a Jet fan by week 16, you figure it wouldn't even matter because because the Patriots would you would think would be out of it at that point if you're a Jets fan. They've already beaten Buffalo once and they've already beaten the Dolphins once. Wild card? Why I say not the wild card? Here's why: they don't have tiebreaker over the Ravens. They don't have tiebreaker over the Bengals. So they don't have tiebreaker over. Any of the two teams that if the lo- that the loser of that division could be a wild card and would have that trump card over the Jets because of, because of the tiebreaker of those two teams beating them earlier this season. Matter of fact, who's the other team? I know I'm forgetting one in the AFC uh, playoff picture that holds a wild card spot that I'm forgetting. The Ravens and the Bengals are the first two. And uh, let's see. No, that's it. The Ravens and the Bengals, and they have already beaten the Bills, and they've beaten the uh, and they've beaten the uh, the uh, the Miami Dolphins. But and then Jacksonville, you know, who isn't going to make the playoffs, but that still is an intriguing team with Trevor Lawrence and the magnificent drive he put together. Uh, and then week seventeen, they they go out with a bang. Uh, now, depending on how the Eagles do down the stretch, the Cowboys. You know they'll be they'll probably be if they don't win a division and the Eagles get home free that'll be the last all out game that the Cowboy players would will go get and they'll have Week 18 off. But say if the division is still up for grabs and the Eagles maybe lose a game or two and the Cowboys run the table the rest of the regular season, that's a game that the Cowboys going are uh, going to have for the NFC. Uh, for the NFC East, and at the bare minimum for seeding, the fifth seed versus the sixth seed, difference between you know playing Brady down in Tampa and going to play, um, going to play uh, the uh, the the Forty ers or the Seahawks on the road, uh, for a perfect example. And in Tennessee, albeit there, even with their loss to my Bengals this this week. That's not going to hurt their season in any circumstances because they are going to win the AFC South outright. But that's still, you, if you get a Thursday night game with two teams that are probably going to have about nine, ten wins by the time that game is played, that that's that's you know you cannot stick your nose up at that if you're Jeff Bezos or if you're Roger, uh, or if you're Roger Goodell. Anyway, I'm getting off the beaten path. The Baltimore Ravens, ladies, goodness gracious me. The Baltimore Ravens, I mean, when you think if you, I, I, part of me feels sorry for the Ravens fan just because I know if it was my Bengals, me watching my Bengals pull this crap for the fourth time this season, it, 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 would, it would make me go insane. 
But my goodness gracious, I mean, every any single time you think that the Baltimore Ravens are above it all, they've st- they they they've soared through the clouds and the and, and, and the losing and the collapses and all this other foolishness is a thing of the past. Then they have a game like like on Sunday against Jacksonville. I mean, there is absolutely zero excuse. Zero excuse why the Ravens had a 19 to 10 lead with 5:59 to go in the fourth quarter. No excuse why this team ends up collapsing yet again in the fourth quarter and loses to a three and seven Jaguar team by the final score of 28-27. Let me dissect this game in many a different ways, shall we? And I've heard a lot of talk on Sports Talk Radio here in Baltimore and Ravens fans on Twitter about who to assess blame, who's at fault, who struck John and why. Here's the bottom line: this was a collaborative effort in the Ravens losing this football game. It's a collaborative event. Harbaugh has blood on his hands. Lamar Jackson has blood on his hands. Greg Roman has blood on his hands. Uh, the, 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 the defense, Marcus Peters especially, has blood. There is enough blame to go around for the Ravens losing this football game. I will start with Harbaugh, Roman, and Lamar Jackson first. This team, and this has been a theme with this team for for the last few years. This has been a thing with the a theme with this team that if it was a Ravens fan, it would it would cause me to go insane. And you Ravens fans out, and you Ravens fans out there, it has already made you go insane. The fa- this team gets out of the huddle way, 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 way too many times. Way too many times. The fa- I mean, I don't understand now. And what I've seen throughout the internet is that the Greg Roman led offenses that this that this has been a theme. It was a theme, I guess, with Greg Roman. He was coordinated with the 49ers and all the other places that he's been. Is that I don't know what the problem is. I don't know whether the fact that 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 Lamar is distracted, he doesn't, you know, as soon as the play's over, he doesn't get the call immediately. Hell, I th- part of me thinks that part of the problem is the fact that Greg Roman, who is the team's offensive play caller, is sitting up in that damn booth about 300 feet up in the air, and Lamar Jackson is down on the field and can't look at his coordinator eye to eye and, you know, tell him, oh, I can't hear you, I'm not getting the signal, I'm not getting the signal properly, what's the right play, you cut yourself off, I couldn't understand you, you mumbled you what? You, you, all the teams, for the most part, I think, with their offensive play caller, they're on the field, okay? The Bengals, to use my team for a perfect example, the Bengals, our offensive coordinator sits up in the booth too. Brian Callahan. Here's the catch. Brian Callahan doesn't call the plays for the Bengals. Head coach Zach Taylor does. Obviously, the head coach is right there on the field. So if Joe Burrow doesn't like a play that's being called or says that his headset is out, he can't hear him, can't understand him, he's getting the call in late, he can't turn to the sideline and tell and yell at Zach, yell and or tell Zach, hey, I'm not getting the call, you're getting the call. That element does not exist. So I think, in my estimation, the fact that that Roman is sitting up 300 feet in the air, sitting in the booth, does does the Ravens zero favors with making sure that they get the plays out on time. But they get way, way, way too many times this team get out of the huddle late and a clock's running five, four, especially with their offense, where they got run, where they got wide receivers, tight ends, running backs, running in motion, all this other time. I mean, they they got a, they call a lot of plays where it's a lot of pre-snap player movement, and meanwhile you look at the play clock, it's five, four, three, and every single time you turn around, Lamar Jackson is. 
clapping his hands constantly, trying to make trying to make sure that his center gives gives him the ball, especially on the road. And it's it's some something's got there has to be a resolve to that. Somebody, whether it's Roman Harbaugh. Whoever has got to step in and say, we got to have a solution here. Either Greg, you get down on the sidelines or you make sure, or you either, Roman, get on the sidelines or Mark, call your own play or make sure literally as soon, don't watch the play, Greg. The You let five seconds, however long the play takes you get. By the time the whistle is blown, you have the call to Lamar. You call the play. You make sure he has it. As soon as the play clock hits the 40 or hits the 25, you make sure that he has the play. Lamar goes through the play. You break your huddle with about 15 seconds left, and then he can use about 10 seconds, this, that, and the other, for you to shuffle around, motion, and change formations, and make sure that the blocking cut, that that the uh, that the scheme that the schemes are right, and everything else. But this team gets out of the huddle way, way, way too damn late all the time, and it's becoming a problem for them. Second thing that was a problem with the Ravens, their receivers can't get and this, and you can even make the argument that that you can even throw Eric DaCosta in, in, into into this uh, into this uh, uh, into this uh, collection of blame here, because the Raven. I understand that Lamar Jackson is all world. He's an all time talent. He is an MVP. He's dynamic and electric with the football. Like I said, when the ball's in his hands, when he runs sometimes, it's like watching a, a sports car on the football field. He's that damn good and that damn talented and electric of a football player. But the bottom line is, damn it, we've learned it with all of these quarterbacks, these young quarterbacks. We saw it with the Bears over this past trade deadline. The Bears were going nowhere. What did they do? They got Chase Claypool out of Pittsburgh, a place where he had worn out his welcome, brought him over to Chicago, and, and guess what happened? What did the Bears do? They do nothing but score, th- at least until Fields got hurt, and nothing but score 20, 24, 25 plus 30 points, and they, and, they, and they gave Justin Fields somebody to throw the football to. To the same thing. To has problems, accuracy, and needs a little bit of help. What did, what did the Miami Dolphins do? They trade, they trade away draft capital. To bring in Tyree Kill, who the Kansas City Chiefs didn't want to sign. You put Tyree Kill, who's going to the Hall of Fame, along with the speed demon that is Jalen Waddle, and then Mike Gusecki, who he's had, who and you allow him to build up the build up the rapport with Mike Gusecki, the guy that he's been there the longest time with. Lo and behold, look at the season that Tua's having. Look at the season that Tua's having. He's third in the running right now for league MVP. Look at the season. You go out there, you get Tyree Kill. You you take you take a look. You take a look at you take a look. Obviously with Burrow. Burrow was for his rookie season. No, with with the COVID year, sensational in 2020. Year got cut short. The geniuses thought it was a brilliant idea to to draft his uh his uh, LSU buddy Jamar Chase. I thought they were out of their damn mind for doing it. But look what happened. They gave Joe they gave Joe Burrow somebody to throw to on top of drafting T Higgins in the second round. The same year Burrow got drafted, and then the carryover with Tyler Boyd from the Marvin Lewis era. The damn team went to the Super Bowl last year. Uh, uh, Pat Patrick Mahomes has had tra- has had Travis Kelsey to throw to ever since he became a starting quarterback in this league four or five seasons ago. He up until this season he had Tyree kill the boot as well. So you look at all the young quarterbacks. Trevor Lawrence, what the team went out there and spent a fortune, spent a fortune in Christian Kirk, and they got Zay Jones, and they have Marvin Jones the boot. 
You look at all the young quarterbacks that have been drafted since 2018 onward who are stars or have the potential to be stars. And there's the same theme. Tua, Burrow, uh, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. Allen had accuracy issues 2018. What did they do? They put together the trade of all trades, and they go out there and they trade for Stephon Diggs and a Pro Bowl all-world wide receiver. Meanwhile, the Ravens are spinning their wheels with 35, 36-year-old Deshaun Jackson, who albeit made a stupendous uh, catch during Sunday afternoon's game, but still. Ravens spinning their wheels trying to to revive old things of old. Deshaun Jackson, Des Bryant. Yes, they drafted Devin DuVernay with the first-round pick last season, but the guy can't stay on the field. If I was the Ravens, I'd be picking up the phone right now and see what I can do to bring Odell Beckham Jr. here. Why bring that up? The Ravens. Three crucial drops. Robinson dropped a touchdown pass on a crossing out in the end zone first quarter. Third and four, Ravens had to kick a damn field goal. And then Oliver touched that, drops a touchdown on a seam route up the middle, hits some right in his hands, drives. It was on first and 10 with 11.30 going to third quarter. Drive stalls. Ravens got to settle for a field goal. And then Greg Roman. Okay. Greg Roman, what in the hell are you doing calling a quarterback sneak uh, like a sweep sneak play? What are you doing calling anything but Lamar Jackson taking the ball and, and running it right up the ass of his own center, literally? What are you doing calling that little quarterback sneak sneak sweep crap on fourth and one? What are you doing? 11.56 to go in the second quarter. What are you doing calling a QB sneak, a QB little sneak sweep on fourth and one? What are you doing? What are you doing? And how many times, if you're Greg Roman... Are you going to th- th- are you going to send out Pat Ricard, a a linebacker that's barely six feet tall, if that th- th- linebacker, fullback? You se- think about this in two thousand and twenty two. You're sending a three hundred pound, barely six foot, if he is six foot, fullback out on passing patterns. In 2022 NFL football, I should not see a 300-pound running back go out for pass patterns like he's Rob Gronkowski. It's not that he's not that fast. He's not tall. He's not agile. And yet, Roman's punching up. Yeah, yeah. You essentially punching him. Punching up routes from the run as if he's Mark Andrews. I mean, seriously. 
Greg, this, this is what you're doing now. 2022 NFL football. Bad enough you get your your y'all's offense is stuck is 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 stuck is stuck in the at the college level. But my goodness gracious, I mean seriously, how many times it's enough of seeing Pat Ricard run pass patterns. Every now and again you want to run him at the goal line play action, runs a little flat route, runs a little runs a little uh run, runs a little uh a flat slant, a curl route. Or your fullback dive short yardage situations that I'm fine with, but when you have the ball, you know, outside of uh, outside of the opponent's five yard line, I shouldn't see Pat Ricard out there running routes as as, as, as like, like he's like he's Anquan Bolden. And this loss wasn't entirely on Lamar. But I look at his completion percentage, 16 of 32, and I sit back and I watch the game. I say, good Lord, how many, how many times can you overthrow wide receivers, Lamar? I mean, maybe it was him doing too much weightlifting in the offseason. I mean, how many wide open receivers or receivers that you can easily hit in stride are you going to miss? Leaving touchdowns on the table, leaving first downs on the table, leaving second and third and shorts on the table. Overthrowing receivers. You got to be able to hit them. This loss wasn't mostly on him, but he isn't uh, uh, innocent of any blame here. Overthrowing missing receivers left and right. Receiver runs a good route. And Shride beats his man. All Lamar Jackson's got to do is put is hit him in the hands or put him in a bread basket. And it's a first down. It keeps the drive alive. Cuts cuts down the yardage heading into third down. Whatever the case might be. And he's overthrowing him. Now, in fairness to him, when he did throw his receivers on target, I got Oliver. I got uh, Robinson. I, everybody knows the man. Andrews even sometimes. Ball hits him right in the hands and they can't catch a damn thing. Gus Edwards, crucial fumble. 5.42 to go in the fourth quarter. Gives him the ball right out of his hands. Fumbles the football. Jacksonville gets the ball. Sets up shop at the Ravens' own 16-yard line. Ravens' defense keeps him out of the end zone, which, which they couldn't do enough of in the fourth quarter. Holds Jacksonville to a field goal, but they take the lead to go up 20-19. I mean, the amount of miscues that this team makes is, if you were a Ravens fan, would have you bouncing off the damn walls. Fumbling the football constantly, missing open receivers if you're Jackson. Receivers can't catch. They're getting out of the huddle late, watching the play clock bleed. Gus Edwards fumbling the ball left and right. I got Pat Regard, a 300-pound fat-ass fullback, running running passing patterns, running routes out there like, like, he's, like, he's, like he's George Kittle. And then the defense. Good God almighty the defense. The Ravens defense allowed the Jacksonville Jaguars 
and I'll read you that stat line here in a minute. They allowed the Jacksonville Jaguars to go two of three on third down and converted a a a third and two and a third and twenty one and a third and six. The Jaguars only four of thirteen on third on third downs in this game. But in the three third downs that the Ravens had to win in order to put the game away, they went 0 for 3 and failed at every last attempt. A third and two when they were up 19-17 with 5:55 to go in the fourth quarter, they they let they they gave up they gave up a uh, they gave up a touchdown on that play. Obviously, to make it 19 17 Baltimore, third and 21, with, uh, with, uh, with 124 to go in the fourth quarter. They somehow they allowed the Jaguars to cut it up. They didn't convert, so, they, so two out of the four third downs they converted here, in this, here during the Jaguars' comeback. I apologize. But what makes it worse is that they allowed the Jaguars to cut down a third and 21 to get it down to a fourth and five. Twist Ravens couldn't get off the damn field. Let the Jaguars convert. Keeps the game moving. Keeps the Jaguars in the game. Next thing you know, let the clock tick. Tick, 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 tick a little more. Third and six, Trevor Lawrence finds Zay Jones, who balled his ass off in the game on Sunday, who had 11 receptions, 145 yards receiving on 14 targets. Third and six, Reception right by the sideline. The very next play, Marvin Jones, Bengals legend, caught one foot down, another foot and a leg, but half a butt cheek, touchdown, brings the Jaguars to the extra point of forcing overtime, two-point conversion of winning the game. And then after all of that, when they allowed a fourth and eight to Zay Jones to put the Jaguars in the red zone, and then they gave up a, th- and then they gave up a third and two later on that drive. Two plays after the fact, Jacksonville puts the ball in the end zone, scored a touchdown not to put bring themselves within two nineteen seventeen. Then the third and twenty one, they give up the fourth and five. They give up the third and six. Marvin Jones scores a touchdown. Then they had one more opportunity. That defense had one, more- and this is where the Ravens' bread is buttered. They don't have. The only superstar they have, or two, that they have on offense is Lamar and Mark Andrews. That is it. They have no superstar running back, no superstar wide receiver. It's Lamar Jackson, and that's it. He's their best player on offense. Where the where the draft capital is at, where the free agency money is at, is in that defense. Is in that defense. Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, Patrick Queen, and they just traded for Roquan Smith. And that defense gave up 18 fourth quarter points and had one more chance, one more chance to right their wrongs all quarter long had one more chance to come out victorious and to flush that horrible fourth quarter, that horrible, god-awful drive down the toilet. They had one more chance. What happens next? 
Zay Jones, little move, out route, catches it near the sideline of the end zone to win the game for Jacksonville. Jaguars win 28-27. You cannot play a more horrendous football game on both sides of the ball. Duvernay had a piss poor return to, to, to give the Ravens the long field before the, the Gus Edwards fumble. You can't, that fourth quarter was from hell. It wasn't a 10 point lead that they blew, but it might as well have been because of how god awful. That team was in the fourth quarter. You go from the offense and then the defense. That expensive defense, the defense that they draft, that they invested many of draft capital in and many of free agency uh, uh, money in and, and then made trades to improve with as recently as Roquan Smith. And they gave up 18 fourth quarter points to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I'm not saying that the site Jacksonville, they got talent on the offensive side of the football. Dougie P is going to get that franchise back to the playoffs in a few seasons. Cheryl Lawrence is the real deal. They have talent. But at the but at the end of the day, you're the Baltimore Ravens, who I was told was the third best team in the AFC, seven and three record. Seven and three record going up against the team that it's above, that's below 500, ain't going to make the playoffs, and isn't as talented as you from top to bottom. And you let them climb back down, down 19 to 10 with six minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and you as a defense collectively crapped and pissed and vomited all over yourselves. I had never seen so much separation that the Jacksonville Jaguars wide receivers created. The Ravens this season in quarters one through three, they only have four turnovers. In the fourth quarter, they have eight. The Jaguars entered Sunday in franchise history. Oh, the 83, zero wins, 183 losses when trailing by a touchdown or more in the final minute of regulation. Think about that for a minute. And thus... Somehow, some way, dare I say, my Cincinnati Bengals have a chance. Speaking of the Cincinnati Bengals, Mike White has made his return. Took care of business and beat the Green Bay Packers final score. 31-10. My, you see what happens when there's competent quarterback play? See what happens? Zach Wilson only had six incompletions. Mike White did. 22-28. Perfect game. 
no interceptions, three touchdown passes, threw for 315 yards. Beautiful. Garrett Wilson, five receptions on eight targets, 95 yards, receiving, caught two touchdown passes. Elijah Moore, two receptions, 64 yards, caught a touchdown pass as well. Zach Wilson should not get his job back for the rest unless something unforeseen happens. He shouldn't get his job back for the rest of the damn season. Let him sit on the bench and watch with a clipboard in his hands for all I damn care. The bottom line is Zach Wilson stinks and Mike White is a leader of men. He is a damn good football player. He has a, he has that Heineke, Tim Tebow, Nick Foles-esque uh, uh, essence, flair, uh, 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 intangible about him, whatever word you want to use. When he is on the field, for whatever the reason, the Jets play better. They play motivated. They 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 they, they have play with that extra with that extra pep in their step. They go out to make that catch. They make the extra effort to dive for that first down, dive into the end zone, make dive and make that extra effort to get that tackle, to get that sack, to tip that pass, to intercept that football. When Mike White is on the football field, the New York Jets are a better football team. They're a better football team than when Zach Wilson, that scrub of a quarterback, is out there behind center. I don't care about Zach Wilson's feelings. I don't care about his developmental process. I don't give a damn that he was drafted second in the in the draft two years ago. I could care freaking less. The bottom line is it ain't fair to the other 52 guys on that roster that have balled and worked their asses off all season long to get themselves in a position where they have seven wins before the month of December and they have an opportunity to possibly still win the division. It ain't fair to them. Let alone it ain't fair to that long-suffering fan base. As long as Mike White plays well, that is his job, not, not Zach Wilson's. And it's not like that Mike White is the Ryan Fitzpatrick the Tua where he's on Father Time's time, where he's in his 30s and he's getting up there in age and he's got more of his NFL career behind him than he does ahead of him. No, 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 no. Mike White, a little older than Zach Wilson, but he's got an NFL career ahead of him, longevity-wise, if, if 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 he wants it. I know it's a small sample size, but it looks like to me he wants it. To hell with Zach Wilson's feelings. Mike White makes the New York Jets a better offense, gives him a better chance to win because he is a better football player, a better quarterback, and a much better leader than Zach Wilson is right now in 2022. Defense won great in the first quarter, getting up by over 100 yards in the first quarter, but they were rock solid the rest of the way. As for the commanders, Heineke didn't play well. To my, for compared to his previous standards, but he wasn't horrendous in the game. Heineke, 14-23, 138, two touchdown passes, didn't get sacked, one interception. Ran the ball tremendously well. Brian Robinson, Jr., 
what a what a tremendous season he's having. What it when in a in a in a tremendous journey. Eighteen carries a buck oh five on the ground rushing for Washington on the on Sunday afternoon. Heineke's the interception could have cost Washington at the end of the half if Hungway Koo makes the fifty yard field goal, which he didn't. Thus, those two teams went to the half with a tie game. Washington defense still tall in the end, and I have no idea why in the world when the Falcons ran for a buck sixty-seven on the on the ground on uh, on Sunday. Why in the world they got the ball in Marcus Mariota's hands, throwing the ball inside the red zone with the game with the game in the balance instead of uh, tucking it and running it, which they did, which they did pretty damn, which they did pretty damn well throughout the uh, duration of that game. I I I don't understand Arthur Smith. I mean, what what the hell are we doing? Running the damn football, will you please? But anyway, the main reason why I bring this game up is because the Washington Commanders are seven and five, and currently, if you look at the NFC playoff picture, are in a position where if they avoid a sweep of the Giants. Win one game and possibly get a sweat, get a sweep here. They are putting themselves in a position where they could make the playoffs as a sixth or seventh seed. You look at Washington right now; they currently stand as the seventh and final seed and team in the NFC playoff picture. The third wild card, the seventh and final seed. Their schedule coming up. They have the Giants back-to-back with the bye week in between in week 14, a late bye. 49ers, which is a rough game, Christmas Eve. But then they got the Browns with the Sean Watson. That game's not going to be a gimme either. But they got two games against the Giants that they have to have. They win those two. It gives them nine at nine and five. Let's say for the conversation, they win them both nine and five. Lose to the 49ers nine and six. Beat the Browns ten and six. And the Cowboys might not meet, might not need that game because the division could be out of reach for them. Wildcard team have to go on the road. Wildcard weekend, they would most likely get their Week 18 game January 8th off, in which the Commanders could go out there. If you know, and it could it could be the difference between them going to Minnesota or going to play uh, or going to play San Francisco, and they could have 11 wins. Simply sweeping the Giants, beating Cleveland, and taking care of business against the uh, taking care of business against the uh, the Cowboys. If the Cowboys don't need that game, if the Cowboys need a game, that's a game uh, Washington's not going to win. But if they don't need the game, that's that's a layup of a game right there for Dallas, or excuse me, for Washington. But the Cowboys, after starting the season, and Brendan texted it to me so I can get it to you specifically. They started the season, uh, started the season one and four. They've gone, they've gone four and one in their last five games, and they're seven and five. Do I have that math right? No, I don't. They started the season. Uh, they started the season one and four to seven and five. So you do the math. They've gone six and one in their last seven games to get to seven and five. There you go. 
Well, Washington's done a hell of a job. They deserve their flowers. Take a break. We'll get to the late action on Sunday. Busy show. This is the Yamatilla KTIS podcast. Forty years ago Wednesday, the greatest album of all time was released. And the best song, in my opinion, one of the top five best songs ever, ever made. Ever made. All genres. Rock, uh, R&B, rap, uh, the funk, blues. Uh, uh, metal, hard rock, you name it. Top five. If you told me right now to create a list of top five songs uh, ever made, Billie Jean would probably be top two. Top two. You can make the argument, and it certainly is for me, is is my favorite Michael Jackson song of all time, and definitely I think it's his best of all time. Yes, Thriller did things with the music video and this, that, and the other, but in terms of the song, not the music video, but the, and, and the elements that came with that with the with the uh, music video and MTV and the costumes and and the fact that he that that Michael Jackson is as synonymous with Halloween as Mariah Carey is with uh, Christmas. No, 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 the the song Meat and Potatoes song, Billie Jean is Michael Jackson's best song of all time. The the greatest from the guitar solo, the 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 message of the song, the lyrics, the way he sings it, it is just sensational, top notch. Fifth and or excuse me, fortieth anniversary of that album, Thriller, uh, coming up on uh, Wednesday, and uh, two teams that were division rivals back when uh, that song came out. 
and that album came out for that matter, the Raiders and the Seahawks is where we will begin uh, part two of the week 12 recap. You know, this is a uh, this was a bad, 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 bad loss for the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, it's bad enough that that you lost the same week that you lost the same week, uh, you know, as the 49ers. And during your bye week, the 49ers uh, took the 49ers won on your bye week, which made things a little difficult. And then throw in the fact week two, when you all played head to head over in Santa Clara, that you guys uh, lost and you didn't show up, essentially leaving no margin for error when you play them on that aforementioned Thursday night game coming up on December 15th. But that that's a ter- that's a horrendous loss for the Seattle Seahawks who are currently on the outside looking in the playoffs. They're only a game back of Washington uh, in terms of the seventh seed in the NFC wildcard chase. They're only a game and a half up on the Falcons. Uh, two games up on the on the uh, Detroit Lions, if you can believe that, it's four and seven. But they're six and five, only one game above five hundred. They've lost two straight games: the Bucks over in Germany, and then the Raiders coming up on Sunday, which we'll get to in a minute. They got two layup games against the Rams, one this week, and then uh, then the final one in their building, Week eighteen. They stink, but then they got a gauntlet weeks 15 through 17. They got the 49ers, the Chiefs, and the Jets. They're fortunate they get two of them in their own building, having to go to Arrowhead, which would be damn near impossible to win that game. But that that's a game that you cannot lose. Buccaneers, all right, fine. Four-game win streak. You haven't, lo- you haven't lost in a month. Uh, it, it's a nine-hour time difference. I cut him a break. But coming out of the bye week and that defense, which was a sieve all game long, allowing Derek Carr for throw to th- – granted, they got two interceptions out of Derek, one of them first play of the game. But they Derek Carr to throw for 295 passing yards and uh, two, three touchdown passes. They only sacked Derek Carr one time, and they allowed Josh Jacobs on 33 carries to run for 229 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Including the game winner that went that went 86 yards to the house. That is, I understand that the Seattle De- Seahawks defense has been not, you know, it's not been their calling card this season. They haven't been great. They've been, you know, middle of the pack, mediocre. You know, they gave up a ton of points to the Detroit to the Detroit Lions. They gave up, they gave up a few points. Uh, to uh, to the to the Saints back in October as well, but that is an absolutely inexcusable performance by the Seattle uh, to two turnovers by uh by uh by um uh Derek Carr be damned. That is a horrendous performance by the Seattle Seahawks defense. I mean, it wasn't entirely all Geno Smith's fault. Uh, granted, now granted, there is some fault on the offensive side of football for, uh, on Seattle, which I'll get to. But that defense has got to give you back uh, a Raiders offense, which has been pretty much substandard and underwhelming and underachieving, to put it kindly at best. That that had to fight tooth and nail to score twenty two points against the Denver Broncos. Granted, they have a great defense, but had to fight tooth and nail to score twenty two points against Denver. Got embarrassed by the Colts the week before that, scored twenty points. They went silent in the second half against the Jacksonville Jaguars the week before that, and then one, two, three, four games ago, got shut out twenty four to nothing by the Saints, who the Seahawks beat earlier this year. No, did they beat Seattle? Did they beat the Saints this year? Uh, no, they lost. That was their most previous loss prior to the Buccaneers' loss on on October the 9th. But still, 
you get you cannot under any circumstance. They got shut out by the by the Saints, and the Saints gave up 32 points to, to the Seahawks. You cannot under any circumstances allow Jacobs run for damn near 230 pat, uh, rushing or two touchdowns, and meanwhile have Derek Carr damn near throw for 300 and throw for three touchdown passes in his own right. It's just completely unacceptable by the Seahawks defense. They cannot stop the run all afternoon long. And then meanwhile, on the flip side, it'd be all it'd be hunky dory, okay, fine. But then you look on the flip side, and the Seattle Seahawks offense could, could, was the exact opposite, was the antithesis of the Raiders' run game. They couldn't run the football worth a damn whatsoever. And Kenneth Walker, the third, who's had a tremendous rookie season, 14 carries, 26 yards, rushing, two touchdowns, granted, but the Seattle Seahawks couldn't run the football. 23 carries, ran for 65 yards total on the ground, had Geno Smith drop back to pass 37 times. It's not going to get it done. It, their run defense was 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 horrid. Geno Smith, the one mistake that he made in the game was an interception that came with eight twenty nine to go in the uh, second quarter. Throws an interception, gives the Raiders a short field, leads to a Josh Jacobs touchdown to uh, to give the Raiders a twenty one to uh, a tw- to give the Raiders a twenty one to thirteen lead. One play, it took him thirty. One play, Josh Jacobs thirty yards to the house. Gave giving them a short field set up shop at, at the Seahawks' own thirty yard line. The the Raiders, uh, the Raiders, and then probably before the half, their defense, the Seattle's defense, that is, couldn't get off the field on a fourth and two. Leads to a uh, Daniel Carlson field goal before the half. So the Vegas is up four points, twenty four twenty. Instead of going into the half, all only up one point, twenty one to twenty. They had a lot of negative plays, about seven, eight, nine negative plays in total in the game. And then Geno's second mistake, I forgot about this one, came with eleven forty eight to go in the fourth quarter. It would have caught, ended up costing Seattle if Josh McDaniels was. I mean, it was a second and four, and Geno Smith uh, gets strip sacks, gets strip sacked. It would have ended up costing Seattle uh, a, a good amount if Josh McDaniels, the the genius who isn't a patch on Tom Flores' ass wipe, ass crack, if he wasn't dumb enough to call for a, call for a halfback toss on fourth and inches. I mean, what the hell? Josh Jacobs is eating up. All he was was eating up yardage primarily with runs up the middle, and I got Josh McDaniels calling halfback toss plays on fourth and inches. I mean, can you be dumber, Josh? I understand that your job is safe because essentially that that uh, that uh, Mark Davis is cash poor, but good Lord, don't, uh, please. A toss play on fourth and inches? Moronic coaching. Moronic. Seahawks defense couldn't get off the field with the lead in the second half. Allowed Vegas to march right down the field. They tied the game up at 34 piece. 10 plays, 75 yards allowed to march right down the field. And then the force. Oh, and then which ended up tying the which ended up tying the game. And they also managed to allow the uh, the Raiders to tie up the game the the first time. They tied up at twenty seven apiece after the Seattle Seahawks offense went seven plays seventy five yards downfield. Davis comes back on the field. The 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 Raiders ensuing uh, possession dry the possession after the fact. Eleven plays sixty eight yards. Kick a field goal to tie it up at twenty seven apiece. 
and the Seahawks were very fortunate at the beginning of the game where it should have been a 12, where they had an either an illegal substitution slash twelfth uh, man come onto the field where they had the where they had the twelfth man run onto the field and block during the interception return on the first play of the game, and the Seahawks were fortunate that that they uh, that they uh, that the referees didn't call it. They couldn't recover a muff punt after Carlson after uh, after Daniel Carlson uh, missed the missed the field goal with uh, with five fifty six to go in the overtime. The Seahawks, or excuse me, the Seahawks punted the football after their after that following possession, and they couldn't and they couldn't recover the punt, the muff punt, and then one play, Josh Jacobs to the house. Horrendous loss by the Seahawks, which if they don't, which if they, for whatever the reason, can't get it done with, the, they got the Rams twice and the Panthers. That's three wins right there. Will 9-8 and eight be good enough? I don't think so. I think it might take 10. Because Washington has an easier schedule. Like I said, and they and that's the and that's the team they're chasing right now. Now, granted, they do have the tiebreaker over the Giants, which holds problems for the Giants in their own right. But the commander's schedule, they have the Giants twice, the Browns, and they are fortunate enough to play the Cowboys last weekend of the season, which is a game that the Cowboys may not need. Meanwhile, Seattle has to play the they both have to play the 49ers. But they have, but the Seahawks have Kansas City and Kansas City, a game that Kansas City will have to have to, you know, for them to get the one. They already have the division locked away and sealed. The problem is, can they get the first round by and avoid playing Wild Card Weekend like they had to last year? They got to play Kansas City and Kansas City Christmas Eve. The Jets need the game Week 17 on New Year's Day. And they both equally got, and they both have to play the have to play the 49ers, a game that the 49ers need to put away the Seahawks for the division, and and in order for them to pad their confidence heading into playoffs, because they won't have the bye with uh, with Minnesota and the Eagles being so far out, being so far out in front for the one and two seeds in the NFC. They got two layups against the Rams, a laugher, which should be at home against the Panthers, and then and then pick your poison, 49ers, Chiefs, and Jets, with two out of the three being at home. My point is, if the Seahawks end up missing the playoffs, you'll go back to that 40-34 loss and Josh Jacobs' 229 rushing performance uh, back on Thanksgiving weekend, and the Seahawks end up missing the playoffs. They were they you, you give them a free pass two weeks before a game before against the Bucks over in Germany Sunday there was no excuse, none, whatsoever. Offense showed up and played decent. Defense couldn't get a stop. Outside of the two interceptions, couldn't get a stop. Couldn't stop the run. It's, it's more than anything, they couldn't stop the run. As for the Chargers and the car, as for the uh, Chargers and the Cardinals. The uh, there's a few things I take away. Uh, Prater had a missed field goal, 49 yarder, which prevented Arizona from going up 20 to 14 with 11:01 to go in the third quarter. The Cardinals' offensive ineptitude was showcased all over the place. I mean, what in the world are the is Cliff Kingsbury, that moron, doing? Calling a a PA little bunch bunch 
crossing pattern with the bunch set and the shotgun. What is he doing calling play action, a play-action pass play with receivers running 10, 15 yards downfield when all he has to do is get one lousy yard on the fourth and one? I have no problem with you going for it in your own territory, 704 to go in the second quarter on fourth and short. The problem I have is the, is, is, is the play call is, is beyond stupid. And the Cardinals wonder why they never won a home game. They said they wonder why they never won a home game. Pulling stupid crap like that out of their asses. I mean, really? Really, Cliff? Cardinals lose 25-24. It's a game that, Card that the, uh, excuse me, the Chargers uh, uh, needed to have in order for them to keep pace with everybody else in the wild card uh, standings. One more loss for the Chargers, and it's pretty much they could have ride 6-5 uh, this season. So that was a game at 5-5 five five they absolutely had to have uh, in order to essentially face the end of their season. They couldn't run the ball worth the lick, uh, but they hung in there. They... Heroic uh, play by Justin Herbert, who's all-world despite the four sacks. And offensive ineptitude for the Cardinals. Murray stinks, 18-29, a buck 91 passing, two touchdowns, one interception. And that, and that was on a fourth-to-one play turnover and downs, which gave the Chargers a short field. They were able to run the football tremendously well. I mean, my God, uh, James Conner, who had an excellent afternoon running the football, and they're throwing, and they're throwing the ball on fourth and one. I mean, and Cliff King, and, and these, and the Arizona Cardinals, the the Bidwells, gave Cliff Kingsbury a contract extension for the next few years, and Kyler Murray to boot, who, 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 is, who is offensive with the football in his hands. Seriously? Seriously? And I have zero issue, none whatsoever, with the uh, with Brandon Staley going for two to end the game. None. His team could his team couldn't stop the run, and with the charges, every what can go wrong will go wrong. You have the opportunity to win the game and nip it in the bud right then and there. I had no problems with Staley for a change, deciding to take a risk there. None whatsoever. Meanwhile, the Philadelphia Eagles are ten and one. The Eagles are one of the, they recorded uh, 363 rushing yards on Sunday night. Second most rushing yards in a game in franchise history. It's also the most rushing yards the Packers have allowed in the game since 77, back in the Walter Payton days where they allowed 375 rushing yards on the ground. Hurts threw for 153 and ran for 157. Fourth player in the Super Bowl era to pass and rush for 150 yards or more in the same game. He joins the company of Lamar Jackson, Colin Kaepernick, who did it in the pack, who did it against the Packers in that game back in the 2012 playoffs. If you remember correctly, a candlestick, and Michael Vick being the only ones to do it in the history of the sport. An electric by at halftime, you thought you were in for an absolute classic Sunday night game for a change, and then the Packers offense kind of dragged their ass in the second half, and the and the Eagles uh, pulled away in the end. But they but the two teams combined for 47 first half points, highest scoring first half of the season thus far through the first 12 weeks. Uh, and uh, there's another thing I wanted to tell you. Uh, the Eagles, I'd be concerned about them. You know, the Packers' the offense hasn't exactly been, you know, the Packers' offense of old. 
and yet they gave up uh they gave up 20 first half points to the Packers and allowed Aaron Rodgers 11 of 16 140 passing yards two touchdowns and allowed Christian Watson to go off four receptions uh for 110 yards and caught a touchdown pass on on six targets i mean if eagles off eagles defense got to play better than that absolutely better in the second half uh, a lot of the Packers kind of creep back late in the fourth quarter, but they got to do better than that. And the Eagles got to start out better. Hurts got to be a little bit more cleaner throwing the football. Got sacked twice, 16 to 28. Uh, they ran the football tremendously well. Hurts with a buck 57 on the ground. Packers defense couldn't stop the run. And Miles Sanders in his own right. The Eagles finally for, uh, fed him the football and look at look at the wonders that it did him. 21 carries, a buck 43 on the ground. Uh, for Miles Sanders, but Hurts got to be cleaner in the passing game. Eagles got to do a better job in the secondary. I understand that they uh, that they have lost now indefinitely. They have lost. Uh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? I had it just the other day, and now I can not freaking find it. They lost. Damn it! Who I can't find it now. They lost uh, C.J. Gardner Johnson indefinitely with a lacerated kidney. So I understand it hurts with the secondary, but still, Packer offense was anemic against the Titans about a, f- a few days before. This is one of the best, at least I've been told, and on paper, one of the best secondaries in the sport. And they cow and they kind of allowed Aaron Rodgers to have a few vintage moments during the sequence of the game on Sunday night. But the Eagles are ten and one, nevertheless. And with Aaron Rodgers, right quick, I don't want to waste too much time on him and on this "quote unquote" controversy with the injury. The bottom line is that Aaron Rodgers has got to uh, the Aaron Rodgers got to look himself in the mirror and say, "Listen." I don't give a crap. The fact that we're not mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, it's just a matter of time. The clock is ticking. I mean, it's only a matter of time till you get eliminated. And with and with a four and eight record, you're not running the table going nine and eight and, and making the playoffs when the when the New York football giants, the commanders hold tiebreaker over your head. I understand you hold tiebreaker over the Cowboys, but the Cowboys eight and three. The Commanders and the Giants hold tiebreakers over your head, and those are the teams that you have to chase. Oh, by the way, you got to chase Seattle as well, who is at six, who is at six and five. Yeah, and Rogers, look yourself in the mirror. You wave the white flag, say the season's over, and you sit out and hope and pray that next year, or you manifest or or, or meditate, whatever the hell you do, that that twenty twenty three is better for you. Cause the pack, cause you owe it to the Packer franchise. Instead of holding them hostage and being selfish, and oh, we still got a chance, and all this nonsense, you owe it to them to see what they have in Jordan Love. Cut bait, do what you got to do, and just use these last few games to see what Jordan Love is going to do going up again in a reg, in a reg, not preseason, regular season setting where the games count. When they gotta play, you know the Vikings and the Dolphins who are playing for playoff sp- playoff spots and playoff seating. They got the Rams Monday Night Football at Lambeau, where all eyes are going to be on them. And come on, do what's do what's right by the franchise. Nobody gives a damn about your little stupid little ownership over the Green over the Chicago Bears. No, at four and eight, nobody gives a damn. Nobody. Aaron Rodgers to do right by the organization. Wave the white flag and set up for the rest of the season. And if the Packers had any guts, they'd make him sit his ass down 
just for the sake of seeing what they have. If they have a future, I don't think they do. But if they have a future in Jordan Love riding behind uh, Aaron Rodgers, number two in the depth chart. We'll take a break. My Cincinnati Bengals. Lord have mercy. Who would have thought back after this? how they've done it but the Bengals have the eye of the tiger again somehow someway this team found a way to win another football game they took care of business against the Tennessee Titans by the final score of 20 to 16 scoring one more point than they did in their playoff upset victory back in January allowing the same amount of points 16 from the Tennessee Titans And I told you guys heading into this game that I wasn't going to take too much stock in Derrick Henry being held to minimal rushing yards in that playoff game back in January uh, 10 months ago because because of the fact that it was his first game. I believe it was his first game. Uh, coming off of that broken foot injury that he is that he has sustained on that Halloween game when they were in Indianapolis, and it was his first game back, and the Titans were trying to force feed him and trying to shoehorn him back into the offensive game plan when they had Foreman, their running back, do a solid job in his uh, absence. So I told you guys heading into this game on Friday that I didn't take too much stock in in the numbers that the Bengals' defense uh, produced in that playoff game. And I expected Derrick Henry to have a much, much better game and much better day than he did uh, in that playoff game back in January. Well, here's this for a stat. Derrick Henry, weeks 1 through 11, leading up into Sunday's game, averaged about 23 carries a game, 101 yards on the ground per game, 4.4 yards a carry, 10 touchdowns. On Sunday against my Bengals defense that stepped up and played their asses off uh, on Sunday afternoon, on seven seven out of 10 Derrick Henry's rushes in the game on Sunday, seven out of 17 were for no gain or for negative yards. Seven out of 17 were for negative yards. The Bengals allowed 2.2 yards a carry. Derrick Henry. Think about that. Every carry Derrick Henry got no more on average than 2.2 yards a carry. On 17 carries, 38 yards rushing. 17 carries for 38 yards rushing. His longest, not rece- not reception, his longest receiving 
or excuse me, his longest rush rush of the afternoon was for nine yards. I, I was impressed. I got to be honest. That was a gritty, gutty, mentally tough, physical, nose to the gr- The Bengals beat the Tennessee Titans at their own game with their win on Sunday. They this what's the Tennessee Titans calling card that's running that's running the football tremendously well, smash mouth defense, stopping the run, holding their opponents to under 20 points, under 17 points, and that's exactly what the Bengals did. And Derrick Henry couldn't run the ball a lick all game long. Granted, they weren't able to force three Ryan Tanhill interceptions, but 22 of 34 and keeping Ryan Tannehill's arm out of the end zone is something that you de- is something that you definitely would take. I mean, think about it. The Bengals only allowed the Bengals only allowed one touchdown, one touchdown against a team that the day before that had ten days off in the Packer game on Thursday night scored twenty seven points. They held the Titans to sixteen. They held Derrick Henry to thirty. Eight yards rushing. No forced turnovers. Ryan Tannehill. Didn't force any turnovers, period. But they still did an excellent job of making sure he, of taking Ryan Tannehill's impact out of the football game. 22 of 34. No touchdown passes. Got sacked once by Sam Hubbard. That was crucial in the second half. Did a sensational job. Bengals defense, going back to my point that I made five the point I was trying to make five seconds ago. One touchdown allowed. One. And I was on the Derrick Henry screen run. The Derrick Henry screen run in which and it was a tremendous play. Tremendous, tremendous, tremendous play by Cameron Taylor Britt forcing the fumble. Derrick Henry fumbles the football, punches it. I mean, first of all, if you're a football coach at the high school level, peewee, whatever you you know, whatever level under college that you that you you know that that you coach, if you're a football coach at any inferior level, that play, the Derrick Henry screen screen pass reception, and then the run, and then the fumble afterwards. That is textbook football one on one. That 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 is textbook by the book. Encourage what you coach on a day in day out week and week. That is football one oh one. Football one oh one right there. You don't give up on the play. You don't give up on the play. You hustle. You haul ass. And you take that 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 uh, he tomahawked that ball out of Derrick Henry's arm, took his arm back, tomahawked it out, boom, ball came out on its own. Now, if Jesse Bates hadn't overran the ball, it was would be right there for the take of him to cover it in the end zone. Titans would have gotten nothing, and it would have been first and ten Bengals at their own twenty yard line. But instead, Bengals you know get the bad get the short end of the stick. Burks showing tremendous hustle in his own right. That's why you all they tell you to always, 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 always finish the play, follow the ball carry, because you never know. You just never know what could happen. 
And if Burks hadn't followed Derrick Henry all the way to the end zone, the final score of this game may be 20-9 to instead of 20-16. to That was the only touchdown that the Titans scored all afternoon was that fluky, ridiculous fumble recovery in the second quarter. Titans had an opportunity at the end of the half to kick a field to kick a uh, they had an opportunity at the end of the half to go up 13 uh, go up 13 10 when when they had the uh the second half kickoff to lean back upon they received a second half kickoff had an opportunity to go up 20 to 10 on Cincinnati had they made the had they made the uh had they made the uh the the gimme uh, how long a field goal was it? The gimme 35-yard field goal. I understand it was his first career NFL start, but 35-yard field goal, you expect him to make it. He misses it. Game, you go into the half 10-10 tie instead of it being 13-10 Tennessee with an opportunity to make it 16-10 or 20-10 Tennessee with the, with the second half kickoff that was forthcoming after the fact. But the Bengals' defense did a sensational job. Did a sensational job stopping Derrick Henry. You see the difference that DJ Reader makes with that defense on the the, in, the interior pressure that he brings as a defensive tackle. The, the the defensive lineman on the edges, Hubbard and Hendrickson, did a great job, and and even did a hell of a job by Lou Anarumo incorporating incorporating Bates, incorporating Mike Hilton, who made plenty plenty of tackles. Uh, Derrick Henry during the sequence during the sequence of the game. I can read your stats number if you want me to. I mean, Mike Hilton had seven tackle had seven tackles. Logan Wilson, a linebacker, had a tackle for a loss. Uh, had a tackle for a loss. Sam Hubbard had two tackles for a loss. Wilson, Cameron Britt, their secondary. I mean, you go ahead and you look at the, at the at the second at the at the who led the lead, who led the Bengals defense. Excuse me, and tackles outside of Logan Wilson, a lot of them are members of the secondary. Cam Taylor Britt, he's a member of the secondary. Mike Hilton, corner, he's a secondary. Uh, Von Bell had six tackles. He's a safety, for goodness sakes. I mean, uh, Jesse Bates had four. A sensational job. Too much separation in the passing game. Passing game does worry you, especially when you go up against Kansas City. Kansas City, their method of beating you was through the air, of course, with Patrick Mahomes because they can't run the ball worth a lick. Knock on wood. They can't run the ball worth a lick, so their method of beating you is throwing the ball through, is throwing the ball through the air. You know, and we had, and I had this conversation with you guys back in January of last season. A little, it's a little easier of an assignment because Chiefs have had wide receivers out, and there's no Tyree Kill on the team. Now it's just a matter of just taking taking away Travis Kelsey and letting Mah- and and seeing what Mahomes does taking away taking away uh, taking away since University of Cincinnati's finest and greatest tight end. But they did a sensational job stopping the run. They they came up with the sack when they needed to, when they needed to in the second half. Sam Hubbard did a sensational job. Didn't force a turnover, and there were times I was clamoring for a Bengals turnover to kind of to, to get the Bengals the ball back, give them some momentum, give them a short field, and they couldn't they could not fail to do so. Kansas City, I, I don't believe you're going to be able to get away with that. You got to be able to force a turnover, turnover, something 
to steal a possession. And if the and if the offense starts out sluggish or things aren't going to plan, you need you need you need that confidence boost or that momentum shift on the defensive side of the football to kind of change the tide of the game. And I, and the Bengals defense is going to have to find a way to force a turnover against Kansas City coming up on Sunday. But we'll get to that when we cross that bridge on Friday. But it is a great job of stopping the run. Opportunistic sack by Sam Hubbard. Everybody was involved. The D line, the linebackers. Luan Room did an excellent job mixing up the DBs with with the with the with the uh, with the DB blitzes, stopping Derrick Henry at the line of scrimmage. Excellent job tackling and wrapping up. You could you just you could outside of that one bad play where where the all out blitz didn't get home in time and it left Derrick Henry with plenty of space and plenty of time to work his to work his downhill uh, running on that screen on that screen pass. But outside of that play, the Bengals defense, I mean, you really couldn't complain. They did an excellent job stopping the Titans in the red zone. The Titans in the red zone went 0 for 3. They they uh, were forced to, they, they were forced to uh, attempt to, to kick a field goal all three times. They could not punch the ball in the end zone in the red zone. The one th- and the meanwhile, the Bengals got to the red zone three times, only capitalized one, but it was one difference that mattered. Bengals, like I said, heading into the game, had to also make sure that the Titans didn't control the clock and time of possession. The Bengals did that 31 minutes, 46 seconds of time of possession compared to Tennessee's 28 14. The thing about Cincinnati, though, that I do that I don't like is that the Titans were seven to 16 on third down, which is a negative. The Bengals were only five for or were only five for 14. Another thing that drove me crazy during the sequence of Sunday's game is that the is the penalties were getting to be were getting to be a nuisance. I mean, time after time after time after time. I mean, every single time the Bengals defense would force a three and out would, would force the Tennessee Titans three and out. I mean, it's like the Bengals received received the punt and all of a sudden there's a flag on the field. Holding is a legal block downfield. I mean, uh, a, a legal blindside block. I mean, and then on offense possessions. I mean, it's just holding. It's legal. It's just penalties all over the place. And the Bengals, who have made it a habit, have made kind of made it their calling card. One of the reasons why they've been so successful over the last season and a half is that they are not is because they are a disciplined football team and doesn't commit a lot of penalties. But I look and I see nine penalties for eighty yards. That 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 makes me that causes my eyebrow to go up and causes the the little alerts and sirens in my head to go off. Because listen, you can't win football games committing nine. You can't win football games long term. Can't win playoff games. Can't go to championship games, Super Bowls. Nine penalties for eighty yards. You can't. I mean, if I had a nickel for every single time there was a special teams penalty on the Bengals after a, after a Titans punt or after a Bengals punt, I'd had about tw- I'd have about twenty extra dollars sitting in my wallet right now. Penalties all over the place, special teams especially, and a lot of them on the offensive side of the football. That cannot happen going against against Kansas City, and it cannot happen down the road. That's got to be an anomaly with the penalties. And the Bengals are pretty good at that. I understand it's not a game of perfection, and 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 it is. And it's just one game, but it better not become a habit. Zach Taylor, I hope he address he addresses that with the team uh, tomorrow when they install the game plan. They have their meetings. Because you commit nine penalties for 80 yards, you're not beating Kansas City. I don't care if it's at Arrowhead, Paycor Stadium, uh, on the moon, Canton, Ohio, doesn't matter. 
not going to win many football games, committing nine penalties for 80 yards. Clean up the damn penalties on special teams and on offense. Outside of the penalties and the lack of generating a turnover and facing way too many third and longs and essentially being stuck within their own 20-yard line and, 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 and backwards to their, own, to their own goal line, those things aside, they had a pretty solid afternoon. But they got to clean up the penalties, find a way to force more turnovers, get after, and get after the quarterback more. And on and on and in part, uh, in the as a result of the penalties, the Bengals started a lot of drives at their own twenty, at their own fifteen, at their own ten, at their own five yard line. I mean, you, you I mean, let's run through the possessions. Their second possession of the game, they started at their own four. Their third possession of the game, they started at their own ten. Their uh, fourth pos- their uh, fourth possession of the game after their uh, after their uh, field goal. They start, okay, not their own 24, it's not terrible. On their first touchdown drive of the game, they started at their own 8. At their, I mean, they started at their own uh, 20-yard line on a field goal possession. I mean, there was a lot of, I, let's count them. They started with inside their own 10-yard line or further. 1, 2, uh, 3 times. Three times, they started out in inside their own 10, 15, 20 to fifteen yard line or, or further back. They started at inside their own red zone, so to speak, or inside the Titans' red zone, I should say, three times. Can't have that. Large part because of penalties, but you can't have that. Face way too many third and longs. The game is easier to manage, and the third downs are easier to convert. When it's third and five, third and six, third and three, third and two, third and one. When you're facing third and nine, third and ten, third and twelve, third and fifteen, that's that's what puts your offense behind the eight ball to the point where if you're not careful, if you don't snap out of it in time, it's going to have a snowball effect, and then you'll be climbing yourselves out of a deficit and be down. 14, 17, 21 points, and then all of a sudden you get yourself into a heap of trouble. Zach Taylor better acknowledge that and take care of that and address with the team this week because that was a major, major, major problem I had with this team on Sunday. Too many penalties and we're undisciplined. Special teams on our offense. You gotta be you gotta clean that shit up. You have to. I'm sorry. You got to be able to clean that shit up. The penalties too damn much. From a team that uncommitted a lot of them historically. Too much. Too much. And as for the Bengals, hey, they got a break. Trevor Lawrence and the Ravens collapsing, narrowed the whole narrowed the narrowed the the gap between them and Baltimore, who have the same record. Be, uh, the Ravens still in first place over uh, tiebreaker head to head and better divisional record. They got hope for one more Ravens loss, and the Bengals got to win out the rest of the way. If they do that, the division is theirs. If they pretty much stay lockstep and win every win, you know, they and every week the rest of the season, the Ravens lose, the Bengals lose, or the Bengals win and the Ravens win, you're going to maybe it might be time to, to uh, call NBC back and put. Uh, that Sunday night game, week 18, at the jungle on Sunday night football. I'm not getting ahead of myself. I'm just saying it's just still a possibility that's out there. 
because the Ravens open up the door for this team with their collapse on Sunday. Um, but listen, like I, I mean, I'm not going to go crazy. I'm not going to say Bengals are back and pound my chest and pound the table and who they, who they, who they say going to be them. It was a great win, gutsy win, and the Ravens losing made, made, made my weekend and made the Bengals weekend a little bit sweeter uh, coming off the Thanksgiving holiday. But the bottom line is you go out there, you lay an egg against Kansas City, or the week after that you fail to beat Cleveland again. What, what is it good for? Come out there and show that same fervor, that same passion, and, 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 that, and that same AFC North rugged blue collar style of football and beat Kansas City again. You get Jamar Chase back, you get Mixon back off of concussion protocol. Take care of business and beat Kansas City again. Beat them again. Show me something. That that's their that's the Bengals first meaningful eyebrow raising. Oh wow, that was impressive. Victory of the season. Make it a second one and beat Kansas City. Make it a second one and beat Kansas City. What it, It's going to be the mantra for this team that I have for them the rest of the season. Like what Dory said in Finding Nemo, just keep swimming. Me, my motto, just keep winning, just keep winning, just keep winning, 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 just keep winning, just keep winning, just keep winning, winning. The three words need to be on this team's mind from now to the end of the regular season. Just Keep winning. If the Ravens going to give you the division, let them. But you can't control what Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson and them, you can't control what the Ravens do. All you guys can control is just is the Cincinnati Bengals and what goes on in that locker room and within that football team. Control what you can control and handle your damn business. And that's winning week after week, game after game. They did a tremendous job defensively stopping Derrick Henry, and they did a very good job this week. Trent Irwin for a second straight week, again stepping up, had that crucial third and twelve reception uh, down by the Bengals sideline, which which kept the which kept the drive alive and kept the momentum going for him. Irwin stepped up, and T. Higgins, as if you didn't know already, is an all-world wide receiver. Sensational, and Samaji Piran ran the ball effectively very well as well. I don't think that he should all of a sudden be the number one running back on the team because let's keep in mind, you know, the last full game Joe Mixon played, he did score five. He did score five touchdowns, run for over a hundred yards. I mean, let's not let's not be too prisoner prisoner of the moment on this. But I tell you something, Samaji Piran did a sensational job stepping up in his place. Uh, a, a productive day running the football and and uh, a productive day running the football. Ran for a touchdown, and uh, and 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 did a and did a nice job for the Bengals offensively. No Jamar Chase, no Ty, no Joe Mixon, and it wasn't a problem. In large part because Joe Burrow is never out of it. He has an ick factor about him, and he and he's got. He's got that dog in him, straight up. But I'm not going to throw him a break because he beat the Tennessee Titans. Mm-mm. Nope. He beat Tennessee. Woke up. I woke up to, uh, yesterday morning and this morning on Tuesday. Woke up and said, okay, great. What are you going to do to beat – what are you going to do? What are you going to do to beat Kansas City? How are you going to stop uh, Travis Kelsey? 
how you gonna keep Mahomes from having his little revenge tour on us at Paycor? How you gonna do it? How you gonna do it? Just keep winning. Zach Taylor called a good. I didn't have. I did. I had an issue though. QB draw on third and goal. Really, Zach? For, they were fortunate that they got bailed out by that unnecessary roughness penalty, which put the game away. That was the one dubious thing that Zach Taylor did all game. Outside of that, I got no complaints. Outside of the penalties, I have no complaints. No complaints. I'll just clean up the damn penalties. That's all I ask. Take a break. Get this to this week's Thursday Night Football game and more to close out the show. The Yamatelekatelius Podcast. Welcome you back to the Yamatelekatelius Podcast. A few order of business that I would like to address before we say goodbye. Um, first off, the Thursday Night Football game this week, as we briefly uh, touched on uh, casually in the monologue, is a excellent football game. Do or die game for the New England Patriots. They right now, if they don't, uh, if they don't, uh, if season isn't their season isn't over. But I mean, with currently sitting at a six and five record, unless the Patriots and look at their schedule, they have with their last three games being a gauntlet against Cincinnati. Two of them are at home though, in their advantage. But with Cincinnati, Miami, and Buffalo. The most that they, you know, I see them winning would be say for say the conversation we give them. They'll say that they win and they're seven and five, eight and five, and nine and five, which means that if they were have a three game winning streak heading into heading into Christmas Eve, I think the best that they would finish would be nine and eight. The best they and I don't think not and not and nine and eight, ten and seven. I don't think not nine or ten wins will be good enough to get the seventh seed in the AFC playoff picture, or excuse me, as as currently as the AFC playoff picture stands. The New England page its a race to a le- even if you're not getting trying to get a division. It's the ra- it's it's a race right now to f- who see who can finish eleven eleven and six first and have the tiebreakers fall in their favor. And the and them going dropping a six and six would certainly make life miserable for the Patriots instead of, uh, p- instead of the exact opposite. So this is a game that the Patriots uh, ha- have to have. They have to have to, especially if they, especially if the Bills don't win the division and Miami holds on, and then it would factor in a tiebreaker with them in Buffalo, and which which would come back to bite the. Patriots in the ass that way. This is a game that they absolutely have to have in order for them to stay alive uh, in the AFC in the whereas in the AFC uh, wild card standings. Meanwhile, Buffalo, I gotta see from Buffalo. I gotta see Buffalo put together a clean game again. You know, you remember the clean, the clean, perfect games. Essentially, the 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 perfect games that they would put together for for about sixty minutes that they had against Tennessee in Week Two and 
and again against the Rams in week and against the Rams in week one and against uh, and against Pittsburgh in week five and uh, games like games like that. Yeah, you, ha- you, ha- you really have not seen the Bills put together a complete game from start to finish where they come out right from the opening snap and kick their opponent's asses up and down the football field. You haven't seen them put together a game like that since their week five blowout win against Pittsburgh. You know, they, they, they made the plays, but they weren't perfect. I'm not, I just, it's not a game of perfection. I get that. And, and they're and they are human. It's a long season. This is a national football league, but they haven't put together a complete dominant effort especially against a team that on paper they're better than. They haven't put together a complete dominant effort in a game uh, since week five against Pittsburgh. You know, they're better than the Green Bay Packers by a, by a country mile. They only beat the Packers by 10 points when they should have beat them by 17, 21, 24, 28 points with Allen throwing interceptions all over the place and the run defense couldn't stop Aaron Jones. You know, they're, they're a better football team than, than roster-wise up and down, hands down, than, than the Jacoby Brissett-led Cleveland Browns. They only won that, they only won that game by, uh, they only won that game by eight points, 31-23. They're a better team up and, I understand that, that, that the Lions aren't, aren't the pushovers that they used to be and, and they're a better football team and they're well-coached this, that, and the other, and they have hope, they have promise. Bottom line is, everybody, everybody and their mother picked the Buffalo Bills to go go to win the Super Bowl, and nobody picked the Detroit Lions to win the division. Let alone make it. To, you know, it's just, it's just no disrespect to the Lions, but it's just the way it is. The Buffalo Bills are a better football team than the Lions, and a game on on Thanksgiving Day had to come down to a to a uh, to a get to an Anthony Bass game winning field goal. So they've played a lot of games, and especially the ones that they've won, where it has been against teams that they are straight up and down, 1 through 53 better than. They don't play a complete game and dominate the way way that they did the first five weeks of the season. And I need to see that from Buffalo in this game against the Patriots on Thursday night. They're a better team than Buffalo. They have better offensive weapons. They have the better court. They have the better quarterback. Patriots have the better coach. But they one through fifty three. The Patriot. The 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 Bills are better. At least on offense, the Bills are better. Defense. No. No. Von Miller and his injuries on defense side of the football for Buffalo. We can have a conversation. We can, you know, is is X is X player on the Bills better than the X player player on the Patriots? We can have that argument. But offensively, they're better. They have a better quarterback, better wide receivers. They're be- and they have a better record, and not by accident. The Buffalo Bills are a better team than the New England Patriots. They gotta win this game no more than 17, no less than 17 points in order for me to feel confident about the Buffalo Bills again because they've played a lot of, I understand that the close games, they've struggled with that in the past and they need to get better at winning the close one possession games. I understand that and them winning games 28-25 and 31-23, you know, and 24-20, it helps them. But at the end of the day, you know, beat, there's no shame in beating Kansas City 24-20. It's Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes. There is shame, though, and there and there is area of concern 
when you got an edge out of wins against the Detroit Lions, 28-20, you know, by a field goal. There is concern when when you only beat the Cleveland Browns by eight points. You only beat the Green Bay Packers who stink by 10. There is concern when it comes to that. Edge, the grind-out victories are not a bad thing against the, against the teams that, that make it work for them. Well, I check that. Against against teams that are equal in competition as you. You shouldn't have to work, have to work at, not as hard, but, but beating the Detroit Lions shouldn't have been as taxing as it was. I understand Detroit's a hell of a football team and competitive, but even... With the Von Miller injury, you're a better team than the Detroit Lions are. And the Bills had moments in the game on Thanksgiving where they could have ran away and hid and gave themselves a little bit of separation between them and Detroit, and they couldn't. So from Buffalo, I got to see, because they're a better team than the New England Patriots, record-wise and 1-53. through I got to see them put together a the same complete dominating games that they put together the first five weeks of the season. I got to see them do it against the Patriots on Thursday night. In order for me to say I'm fully confident that the Buffalo Bills can retake the division, win it again, and be a force to be reckoned nah, with. I know they're going to be a force to be reckoned with, but are, but them becoming the team, the team to beat in the AFC like they were the first five weeks of the season. I got to see that. I got to see Josh Allen not turn over the football, turn over football again on Thanksgiving. I got to see him take care of the football, you know, being able to manage and handle the the New England Patriots pass rush. I got to I got to see them not waste opportunities off the of turnovers, take care of the football, play smart, defense get off the field on third downs. Stop the run. I got to see that. I got to see it. I got to see him do it well. And then the Patriots side, listen, can they run the football effectively on the Buffalo Bills who have had the ball ran on them uh, fairly well the last cup, the last uh, handful of games? My uh, Mac Jones limit the mistakes. And can they keep up with Buffalo in the scoring department? There's no Von Miller for the Bills coming up on Thursday, which is a huge advantage to the Patriots. And Belichick, his claim to fame, has taken away the Bills' best player. Now, does that mean containing Josh Allen, making sure that he doesn't, when the play breaks down, allow him to run crazy all over his defense? Or does that mean taking Stephon Diggs away? Be an interesting thing to monitor come Thursday night. It's a game that the uh, that the Patriots have to have, and I gotta see Buffalo. They're a better team than New England, straight up. I gotta see Buffalo go out there, kick ass, and take names in a complete sixty-minute football game like they were accustomed to the first five weeks of the season back in September and early October. Uh, switching gears now to the college football, and what a college football uh, Saturday it was. Michigan beating Ohio State uh, 45-23. 
Uh, a sensational job by J.J. McCarthy. Really, that really is a team that's heavily built on running the football. They didn't have their star running back in the game. The game was was on was was on was in the hands and on the shoulders of J.J. McCarthy. And what did he do? He did a sensational job. Put his team on his back and got him home. Three touchdown passes, two hundred sixty-three passing yards, twelve to twenty-four. Did a sensational job. And then, of course, running the football, Donovan Edwards stepped up, stepped up, uh, stepped up uh, uh, big time. Twenty-two uh, carries, two hundred and sixteen rushing yards, two touchdown runs on the after on the afternoon. Uh, the, the Cornelius Johnson, five excuse me, four receptions on five targets. Buck sixty caught two touchdown passes. Wolverines did a sensational job executing on the big play. Had a ton of them during the sequence of the game on Saturday afternoon. And as and as for and they give Harbaugh a ton of credit. Back to back years, he's gotten the job done against uh, against Ohio State. And I scared of them. They're not afraid of them. They make Ohio State play on their standards. They set the tone of that football game and straight up took that Bernie Mac. I ain't scared of you, MFers approach. And were determined and were hell bent on ma- on making sure they took care of business against the Buckeyes on Saturday afternoon. They were seven and sixteen on third down compared to Ohio State's five and sixteen. Put together five hundred and thirty yards of total offense. They ran the ball tremendously well. Uh, they were they uh, capitalized in a one lone red zone att- one lone red zone opportunity again. Like I said, had a ton of big plays that went that went to Painter. Uh, during the game on Saturday afternoon, and then on the Ohio State side of things, and I want to hear, and I want to hear Ryan Day sit here and talk about what we deserve an opportunity to still go to the Final Four. Ryan, when your team goes out there and gets punched in the mouth in your own damn building by Michigan, 11, 11 over versus eleven and zero to go to the Big Ten uh, championship game, and to essentially get the, unless something unforeseen were to happen to get that higher seed and out of the four in the CFP, you get punched in the mouth and, and you get punched in the mouth like that by your hated. I mean, at all, this is what these two programs live for winning a national championship and then beating the hell out of one another when they play each other once a year. That's what it, and, and when you're the Ohio state coach, just like Harbaugh, we criticized them for years. When you're judged on two things, when you're the head football coach of those two programs, it's it's beating the rival first, and it's the and in and, and the national championship. Your Ryan Day, your goal and your season comes down to two things: making sure your team is a national champion, and did you beat Michigan to do it? Michigan, same deal with same deal with uh, same deal with Jim Harbaugh. Did you win the national championship, and did you beat the piss out of Ohio State to do it? So I can't sit here and listen to Ryan Day talk about we deserve an opportunity. Bullshit, you deserve an opportunity. When you lose by 22 points in your own damn building, get punched in the face by a team that basically, you know, depended on its quarterback and the big plays downfield with his arm in order to beat you, and, and you couldn't stop the run worth a lick, you don't, you don't deserve it. Losing by a field goal or a touchdown, scratch and claw in a classic, that's one thing. 22-point loss. At home, inexcusable. In, inexcusable. So no, you don't deserve to go to the Final Four. You don't. Straight up, no. You want to go to the Final Four? 
don't get embarrassed if you lose and just you don't have to even have to worry about that problem. You just win the damn football game. And Ohio State offensively was just a lot left to be a lot left to be desired. CJ Stroud, he played himself out of the Heisman Trophy conversation in his performance on Saturday afternoon. Two interceptions. Couldn't run the football very well. They couldn't run the football nowhere near as well as Michigan could. And just couldn't keep up with Michigan with the big plays in the passing game. So there is to it. And D in their defense. It wasn't not a lot to write home about when it came to their defensive uh, prowess uh, on uh, on Saturday afternoon down in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, South Carolina upsets Clemson. I mean, it's enough of Dabo Sweeney, enough of Clemson. I mean, geez. Getting punched in the face by South Carolina, who coming off of a, a coming off of an impressive victory of their own, uh, coming off an impressive victory of their own the week before against Tennessee, where they well, kicked their ass sixty-three to thirty-eight. Uh, give Beamer, the head coach down there, a ton of credit for what he's done. Looks like he's starting to revitalize that program. Eight and four, a regular season record. They finished with. Give uh, Rattler a lot of credit as well. 25-39, 360, two touchdown passes. Did throw two interceptions, get sacked twice, but they got the W. That's all that uh, That's all that uh, mattered in the end. Well, Wells Jr. on 11 targets, nine receptions, a buck, 31 receiving yards, two touchdowns, uh, receptions for, uh, for South Carolina. That's hopefully the two lost Clemson Tigers, who are ranked currently at eighth heading into that game. It is the coup de grace to their championship hopes as they say good as they say good night by the way the rankings came out uh i'll just run them to you georgia number one doesn't go anywhere although struggling in there a victory on sunday on a saturday michigan moves up to number two tcu at three usc is ranked number four ohio state outside looking in at five alabama at six Tennessee at 7, Clemson falls one spot to 9, Penn State moves up to 8, and Kansas State, if you care, at 9-3 and three, is at 10. So the three teams on the outside looking in, Ohio State, Alabama, and Tennessee. Ohio State at 11-1, Alabama at 10-2, Tennessee at 10-2. Uh, with uh, USC being the only non-undefeated team in the Final Four at 11-1, all the other three teams are at 12 and oh speaking of usc how about caleb williams and the absolute virtuoso performance he put on saturday night at the coliseum against notre dame i mean a sense i mean sensational is putting it lightly only four incomplete passes 18 to 22 232 yards passing threw for a touchdown as well and then on the and then on the ground ran for three touchdowns on nine carries uh, what an absolutely brilliant night he had in a 38 to 27 victory for USC he along with CJ Stroud's collapse early in the afternoon walked his way into essentially winning the Heisman trophy come the uh come uh, the Heisman trophy ceremony a week from this upcoming Saturday. What a sensational season he's had. He's thrown for 3,712 passing yards, 34 touchdown passes, only three interceptions on the season. 
He's got a 65 completion percentage, averaging nine yards per pass per uh, per pass attempt, and he's ran for 10 touchdowns on a season. A sensational job by Caleb Williams. LSU, uh, I mean, it's a letdown. Can't happen. They had an opportunity where if they, you know, took care of business and beat and beat uh, Georgia in the national championship game where they had a fighter's chance as a 10-2 team to make the Final Four, laying an egg to Jimbo Fisher's underwhelming uh, and underachieving Texas A&M, Texas A&M team, losing 30, 38-23. That's going to play it right out, Brian Kelly, out of any competition for a Final Four. Letdown game, trap game, Knowing that they had Georgia down the road and all the Texas A&M, you could you could argue that they overlook them, that they play down competition. Who the hell knows? But it was a horrendous day by them. Uh, Daniels did not have a good afternoon at the office. Uh, Twenty-one to thirty-five, a buck, a buck eighty-nine, uh, throwing the football. They did not run the football as well as they should have. Outside of uh, Daniels, their leading rusher, Emory Jr., nine carries, fifty-five yards on the ground. Averaging a little over six yards a carry, did run for three touchdowns, but didn't run the football as well as you'd like. But the passing game really was lackluster for LSU, as the key point in the game did not lead in time of possession. They were four of eleven on third downs, were absolutely horrendous on third downs, and uh, were uh, and uh, that and that was the story of the game. And fum and fumbled the ball twice and lost possession on a fumble as well. Texas A&M showed up the work. LSU Tigers didn't. Thus, the Tigers currently go back to the rankings. They were ranked heading into the game on Saturday at number five. With their loss to Texas A&M, dropped them all the way down to 14. So they're finished for the uh, 2022 season in terms of their championship aspirations. And Oregon, what a collapse they had uh, in the game before, in their game against uh, Oregon State. I mean, they had a, they had a, uh, they had a uh, 28-3 lead, if I have that read correctly. And absolutely pissed it down the leg, and Oregon State came back to win the game 38-34. I mean, just an absolute, and they did it without, and they did it without throwing the ball. I mean, they only threw the ball. They only threw the ball thirteen. They only threw the ball thirteen times, and they ran as a team for forty-three carries for two hundred and sixty yards of offense on the ground, and all five touchdowns were scored on the ground as well. Oregon, Bo Nix, he's had a reputation that when nobody's watching, you know, it's like if a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear it, doesn't make a sound. Well, if Bo Nix plays well and nobody is there or watching on TV to see it. You know, do, does it does it really hold its weight? Does it hold any muster to it? Well, the question after this performance on Saturday afternoon, early Saturday night, is no, because he really just did not deliver the goods when he had an opportunity to bail out his team. He could not run the football uh, well collectively. College standards, they did the subpar running the football, could not control time of then they won the time of possession. Yet they somehow, some way, let the league pit, let the lead piss down the leg. They were 0 of 5 on fourth downs, which absolutely killed them. You can't convert on fourth downs; you got no shot 
winning the of winning the game. They won the turnover battle one time of possession. Were were the granted the difference maker being is that Ohio State excuse me Oregon State was five of six in the red zone four of four goal to go efficiency and they uh, and they were. Uh, and they were one of two on fourth down. Oregon was 0 of 5, and Oregon won a time possession battle and a turnover battle and still walked out with the loss. Oregon was ranked at number nine. Horrendous loss by them. Not that they really had a chance in it, but it drops them down all the way to number 16. A terrible, terrible, terrible loss for the Oregon Ducks football program. So where you stand right now, you got USC at number four, TCU at the three, Michigan two. Georgia ranked number one. Really no quibbles about that. Does Alabama have an opportunity to make it in? Remains to be seen. Ohio State, do they have an opportunity? I would say, pro- I mean, they are 11-1. and one. They are 11-1, and one, and they are not participating in the Big Ten Championship game with that loss against Michigan, so their regular season is over. See, if you know, I'd be shocked if there would be a door that would open up for Ohio State and/or Alabama to make the Final Four. I don't see it myself heading into conference championship uh, weekend coming up on Saturday. But that's your uh, college football to close out the show. Wanted to get down the board and give you a little bit of a, a recap of the weekend in college football week 13. And, of course, the Thursday night game between the Buffalo Bills and the New England Patriots. Football-heavy show, but, hey, that's how you rock and roll sometimes in the month of November. Uh, and now it's another episode, and I was full aware the Lakers collapsed the other night, believe me. But that's another episode of the I'm Like a TIS podcast in the books. If you're new to the program and like what you heard, please please hesitate to subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram. At the J Shield, I will talk to you guys coming up on Friday. Y'all stay safe. Have a good one. Take care.